to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we are right now in this book. Uh, we're going to be reading most of this chapter today, which has been called the Hall of Faith, uh, something of a biblical equivalent of a Hall of Fame. I've never been to a Hall of Fame like Cooperstown or Canton, Ohio, places that are devoted to the greatest athletes of all time in various sports, but I assume that one of the reasons that those places exist is to keep alive the memory of those athletes so that we will be inspired somehow, that we might be challenged by uh, their rags-to-riches story. They started out as the unknown's uh, humble roots, and they ended up on the world stage, or or they, they persevered through a racial barrier and, and crossed the line and changed people's thinking. And so I'm assuming those places are to inspire us, to motivate us to live differently. Well, in a similar way, this chapter is intended to inspire us, uh, but not just by stories of, of people with abilities that we'll never possess, but by stories of people who are just like us and who trusted that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. That's what this hall of faith is about. Romans 15.4 says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And so it is with uh, Hebrews chapter 11. The lives described here are for our instruction, that we might have hope, like that like the people of old who overcame challenges by faith, we can do the same thing because we have the same faithful God. So let's read Hebrews 11. We're going to start in verse 17, go all the way to 40. We're not going to rush. This is, after all, God's very words to us this morning. And I think it's good for us to catch the scope of the history that's involved in all these lives, beginning with Abraham all the way to really today, theoretically. So let's read the text, and then ask for God's help to understand. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering, offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. 
By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been circled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness." became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, They should not be made perfect. Let's pray. What a great list here, Lord. So instructive for us, so ready to give us hope for our lives. And so I only pray that this morning you would help us to have that hope and to be instructed, have our hearts open to hearing and receiving what you have, what you've done throughout history, what you're still doing today, what you will be doing in the future. Lord, give us the bigger scope of things. Lift our eyes up from this world and see you at work and take courage to also live by faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to consider four lessons from the Hall of Faith and apply them to our lives. And we'll get going right away. The first one is this, that everybody in this Hall of Faith and in this list that we read, they're flawed people. (laughs) They're flawed people. We might think the people whose names are read here are there because they represent the best of the best. They're the spiritual heroes who did everything right in their lifetimes. Uh, If we could only be like Abraham, whom Paul called the man of faith in Galatians 3, the one who left his country to go into the unknown at God's call, the one who became the father and founder of a great nation. If we could only be like him, if we could only be like Moses, the man who stood up to Pharaoh at whose word plagues came upon Egypt, who alone met with God on the mountaintop and brought back with him the the law of God to give to his people. If we could only be like him. We might think this list is just superheroes. 
and that's why their stories are remembered. But on closer examination, we see that these were all flawed people just like us. Let's pick a few names out and think about their lives. Abraham, the first one. We'll say more about him later because his story, in this text at least, is one of the most heart-wrenching and also magnificent stories of faith that we have in the whole Bible. But Abraham didn't always have the kind of faith that we're going to read about. We learned last week that Abraham was formerly an idol worshiper. For the first 75 years of his life, he and his forebears served other gods. So think about this guy. He lives to be 75 at, at 74 and a half, let's say. You know this guy, Abraham, as the guy who serves idols. And if he'd have died at age 75, that's all he would ever, ever have been. Just another idol worshiper, somebody who rejected the God who created him. That would have been his story, except that at age 75, God called him and said, I have a different path for you to take. And he made him into a man of faith who began to follow the living God. But he started out 75 years worshiping idols. Jacob, his grandson, is on this list. His name means heel catcher because he came out of the womb holding on to his brother Esau's heel. And that, that nickname, if you will, came to be prophetic because he began to catch people in deceit later in his life. He stole Esau's birthright, then he stole his blessing. He also took for himself four wives. And then he played favorites with his own son, Joseph, giving him a special coat of many colors so that his brothers were enraged at dad's favoritism. That was Joseph, I mean Jacob. Rahab is here. Rahab the prostitute. Here's a woman who's been degraded into selling herself into the arms of men. She's a person with no social standing at all. Today you'd find her on Colfax Avenue. But she's in this list, this hall of faith. Jephthah is listed. He was one of the judges of Israel. But he was also a man born of his father's union with a prostitute. Later, his lawfully born brothers cast him out of the family. And it says of Jephthah in Judges 11 that worthless fellows collected around him. So Jephthah's a guy who ran with a rough crowd. <laughs> And then later in his life, when he was the judge of Israel, he killed his own daughter to fulfill a terrible vow that he made to God, if you would just give him victory in battle. We can go on through this list, and we can look at the backstories of all these people, and not one of them rises to the level of perfection. They are flawed people, but at the same time, they are people who possessed genuine faith that God exists, and that He rewards those who seek Him. And they did beautiful deeds that sprang from that faith. Verse 39 says, They were commended through their faith, commended by God, approved by God, in good standing with God. Now, here's what's instructive about that. This is for our encouragement and our hope. 
First of all, it means people like us can be on this list. <laughs> people like you and me. We're flawed, aren't we? We've got stuff in our lives that we don't want published. <laughs> There's things we're not proud of. There's things we know we've done wrong, and yet that in itself doesn't disqualify us from receiving God's commendation. God commends faith, faith in Him as the one who exists and rewards those who seek Him. And today that means faith in Jesus Christ, in the God who entered this world and showed us who He is, in the person of Jesus Christ. So it's hopeful to know our sins don't disqualify us from God's approval. Not when there exists genuine faith in Christ. Genuine faith that demonstrates itself in action. Even prostitutes can go to heaven. In fact, Jesus told the, the chief priests of his day, they'll get into heaven before you, you self-righteous priests. By faith, even a man like Jephthah, who killed his own daughter, can go to heaven. But another thing we learn from this list, from this fact that it's all flawed people that are held up to us as examples of faith, what we learn is how to treat other people, especially how do we treat other believers in Jesus when we see flaws in them. Notice that God doesn't throw these people under the bus just because they have flaws. We see too much of that in our culture. If someone disappoints you, then cut them out of your life, right? That's what we learn from a lot of what goes on in the world. Not so with God. It is sinners that Jesus came to save, not the righteous. We aren't perfect before God calls us, and we're not perfect after He calls us, except in our status, we are counted righteous, but we know day by day we're still blowing it. There's still things we're not proud of doing. But in Christ, we belong to the Lord, and He knows that, and He commends every act of faith in our lives. You might look at Hebrews 11 like photos on your refrigerator. So we have a refrigerator, and you have one. Ours is metal, so we can stick things to it with magnets, right? They should always be metal so we can do that. So what kind of pictures do you put on your fridge? You've got the pictures of people at their best, right? You've got the high school graduations. You've got the weddings. Uh, you've got the Christmas photo. It's all people that are at our best. You don't have pictures of crying babies and, you know, like that, right? Why do we do that? Because that's how we want to remember people. We want to remember them at their best. So it is with these names in the Hall of Faith. They're like snapshots of the people that God saves. They celebrate what His grace has produced in their life. To quote one Puritan, Richard Sibbs, he said of Christ, He will accept that which is his own and pardon that which is ours. <laughs> like photos on the refrigerator, God celebrates us at our best moments and he chooses not to remember our sins against us if we are in Christ by faith. That's the attitude we should take towards all fellow believers.
not being eager to broadcast each other's faults, but eager to point out God's work in their lives and celebrate that. Let's move on to the next lesson from these people, the lives of people of faith. What we see here is they, they, they um, face diverse tests, all kinds of different things, lots of different examples of steps of faith they took. Let's look at some of them. The first test of faith that's presented is probably the most difficult one in the whole chapter. It's the account of Abraham. When he was called by God to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice, literally to put his own son to death, his only son. Verses 17 and 18 introduce the story. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now, before explaining this and completing the story, let me just point out one thing as an aside. This chapter treats Old Testament narratives as historical events, not fictional stories. They're not treated like parables that are made-up stories just to teach a principle. These are real accounts of real people who did real things. Abraham really was about to put his own son to death. The Red Sea also was parted for Israel, which we also read in chapter 11. The walls of Jericho fell down when the army circled it seven times. That's also in chapter 11. These things really happened, and I mention that because not a few people want to dismiss Old Testament stories as just symbolic of something else, that they didn't actually happen, they just teach something. Well, they do teach something. They are for our instruction, but they're for our instruction because they actually happened. And God was doing something in those stories to show us Himself and His ways, His character. And that's why we can take courage from these things, because these people face diverse tests, and God got them through it by faith. And so then can we. The story of Abraham and Isaac is one of those stories. The original account is Genesis 22, and here's what it says in Genesis 22, 1 and 2. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, that's the heart-wrenching and magnificent story of faith that I mentioned about Abraham, because Abraham obeyed God in doing this. He went through with that. He went to Mount Moriah. He built an altar. He put wood on it. He bound his son on the altar, the son through whom God said, I will, you will have many descendants. This great nation is going to come from Isaac. But he raised the knife to slaughter his son because God told him to. Now, you try to put yourself in that situation. What would be going through your mind? And if it was me, I'd be thinking, this is cruelty. Is God sadistic? How could he tell me to kill 
my own child, my own child who has done nothing deserving of death. How is this in any stretch of the imagination consistent with his promise that through Isaac I'm going to have many descendants? This just doesn't make any sense. This is cruel. There is no point in it. That's what would be going through my mind. It was a hard trial for Abraham, but he raised the knife, and he was ready to plunge it. Now, why would he do that? The text tells us in verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him, that is Isaac, from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham believed somehow, even if he killed Isaac, God would overrule death. So by faith, he obeyed God. And when he acted in faith, raising that knife, God intervened. And that's how the story goes. A ram gets caught in a thicket. God says to Abraham, stop. Here's the sacrifice. Free your son, bring this ram over here. That will be the burnt offering. That will be the way you worship me, not Isaac. And that was God's plan all along, though Abraham could not know that. But now, because of this whole event, we now have a picture of the gospel that we can really take to heart. Because that story, that event... A historical event, was God's way, one of God's ways of showing how he was going to spare us. Not just how he spared Isaac, but how he's going to spare everyone who puts their trust in Christ. Because God the Father put himself in Abraham's position when it came to saving us from the penalty of our sins, which is death. He put forward his own son, Jesus, as the offering to take our place and to take our blame and our punishment, his son who had done nothing wrong. But unlike Abraham, God didn't hold back the knife. Jesus became the sacrifice that took our place, like the ram caught in the thicket. And it wasn't something that Jesus didn't want to do. He was voluntary. Hebrews 9 said he offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This was an agreement between Father and Son to spare us from our sins and what they deserve. And we have Abraham's story to picture that and to feel how hard that was to win our salvation. What love that was now, not every test of faith is as severe as this one with Abraham. Not everyone is a life and death situation. But there is a test here that I think is common to all believers, one that we certainly face in our cultural moment. It's the one in verses 24 to 26, the one Moses faced. Let me read that. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So here's the choice that Moses faced. I can live happily ever after in Pharaoh's household. Powerful man, riches, 
I can stay here, I can have everything I want. Or I can identify myself with these Hebrew slaves and suffer mistreatment with them. That was the choice he had. Do I want the wealth of Egypt or do I want the reproach of Christ, it's called? Forward-looking, following the Lord, the Messiah, the one prophesied who is to come. I can do one of those two things. I can have the pleasures of sin or I can have the reproach of Christ. That's the, that's the decision that he was faced with. And that's what we are faced with today, aren't we? Will we choose conformity to the secular culture and its beliefs so that we can have people's approval? Or will we choose the harder road of following Christ, who, remember, was himself despised and rejected of men? There's no question that to live according to the Scriptures will get you in trouble in our culture because some of it's just, re just offensive to people. And there will be a temptation to keep our head down and stay in the good graces of the culture, a temptation to just enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So how do you fight that? Well, you fight it the way Moses did. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking to the reward. In other words, you fight fleeting pleasures with greater treasure. We, our hearts will always go after, where's the treasure? Where's the thing that's going to make me happy? Well, it's in Christ. It's not in this world. Moses could handle the disapproval and the mistreatment for following the Lord because he knew he was holding fast to a reward much greater than anything the world could offer him. Let me quote J.C. Ryle from centuries past regarding this faith of Moses, which is to be our faith also. He said of Moses, Marvel not that he refused greatness, riches, and pleasure. He looked far forward. He saw with the eye of faith kingdoms crumbling into dust, riches making to themselves wings and fleeing away. Pleasures leading on to death and judgment. And Christ only and his little flock enduring forever. He saw with the eye of faith affliction lasting but for a moment. Reproach rolled away and ending in everlasting honor. And the despised people of God reigning as kings with Christ in glory. That is the assurance of things hoped for. That is the conviction of things unseen that we must have in Christ. If you know you have this stored up for you, then it withers the appeal of sin's pleasure and the conformity to culture to avoid suffering. When we're secure in the knowledge that we're under Christ's glorious, ultimately victorious reign, when we're sure that we have the path that leads to life and unto God's reward, when we're sure of the world's alternative that it leads to nowhere, then we can endure with confidence. We'll follow Christ and His commands. We won't hide from the world. We will engage people in our path with good works and good news of Jesus Christ. That's the test of our day, I think. And we'll meet that test by keeping in mind the greater treasure that is stored up for us. We can't really lose anything of ultimate value by following Christ. 
There is momentary light affliction, but then there's eternal weight of glory. I'll just mention one more kind of faith test we see here before we move on. We'll read verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now, that story is told in Genesis 50. The upshot is that Joseph is on his deathbed. He gathers his brothers around him. He says he's about to die, but that God is one day going to visit his people, and he's going to bring them up out of the land of Egypt into the land that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. So Joseph believed that promise. He believed they would end up not in Egypt, but in the promised land. And he says, I don't want my body to be left here. I want you to take my bones with you when you go. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a great act of faith. When you compare it to what Abraham was faced with or Moses. I mean, it's a deathbed wish, right? Um, And yet here it is. It's mentioned as faith, and he's in the hall of faith for it. What do we learn from that? At least this, genuine faith, whether it seems small or great, is always pleasing to God. It is noteworthy. It is God's work in us. Joseph's faith is cut from the same cloth as Abraham's and Moses's. It doesn't matter that it was a deathbed request versus a life-altering decision with decades ahead of you. It is faith, and faith will always be commended by God. So for us, don't think that the only way to exercise faith is to do the hardest thing that you can think of. Start by just exercising faith with what's right in front of you. No matter how, how, how small it seems. Whether it's faith to go to work one more day. <laughs> or faith to pray that prayer one more time for somebody. Or faith to just serve one more person. That act of faith is part of God's great story of redemption that He's working in the world. And it's a beautiful thing in God's eyes. And it is remembered forever. Like anything that grows, faith grows from something small to something large by degrees. I like what C.S. Lewis said about the boy Shasta in The Horse and His Boy from the Narnia series. Of Shasta, he said, he had not yet learned that if you do one good deed, your reward is usually to be set to do another and harder and better one. (laughs) That can be said about faith. It builds over a lifetime of obeying God in the small things. And then he gives us faith to do the harder thing. And the harder thing, and one day you end up living by faith in all things. Able to meet the hardest challenges. Let's move on to another lesson from the Hall of Faith, which is that acting by faith leads to diverse outcomes. So there's diverse tests. There's also diverse outcomes. These can be collected into two categories. The first one we can call victories. Victory can be the outcome of your your acts of faith. Verses 32 to 35 describe the range. What more can I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith did what? Here we go. Conquered kingdoms, 
enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Wow, what a list. Man, we want. I wish the list stopped there. Like, that was the only list. There's another one. But this list, like, wow. Wow, that all sounds amazing. This is a list of what God can do with flawed people like you and me who exercise faith. Who would have thought that David, the youngest son out of all of them, he's out tending sheep in the field, who would have thought that one day he would conquer kingdoms by faith? But he did. His brothers didn't think so. <laughs> when he came to the line when Israel was going up against Goliath and they're all shaking in their boots, oh, we can't deal with this guy. So David comes up and he says, I'll do it. God gives him deliverance. He becomes king. He puts foreign armies to flight. He conquers kingdoms. He becomes the great David, right? Who would have thought? As one person here who by faith, that's what God did. Here's another, stopping the mouths of lions, probably a reference to Daniel. At least it would apply to Daniel. Here's a youth in Daniel who is taken away to Babylon, and he's taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. In other words, he goes to a secular university, you know, as a, as a teenager. You think, uh-oh, that's the end of his faith. Whoa, he's going to learn the literature and language of the Chaldeans, you know, astrology and all sorts of things. He's not going to make it. Well, what happens with Daniel? You know his story. He, be, he keeps his faith. He rises up to like second in control of the whole country. But then he bears the reproach of Christ. He's thrown into a lion's den and God stops the mouths of the lions and rescues him out of there by faith. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Wow, that deserves more reflection. <laughs> Maybe that refers to the widow of Zarephath, whose son was raised by Elijah. But there were other women who by faith received back their dead. We don't have all the information about who they were or when it happened, but by faith in the Lord, even the dead were raised. Faith can overcome death itself. And there's more. one more outcome I just want to report here which i really like through faith some were made strong out of weakness that is so hopeful do you feel weak do you ever feel like i can't handle the challenges that are in front of me i just don't have the the wisdom the knowledge i don't have the capacity the strength i just can't handle life you ever feel that way but by faith we are made strong out of weakness your weakness is not the measure of what God can do through you. You will be helped by God to face the hardest things in ways you never thought possible. Paul the Apostle was aware of his weaknesses. He wanted one of them to be removed. He asked God to remove it. The Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Like, Paul, you're weak, you're right, you can't handle it, but you know what, I can handle it. And so when you get to the thing that you're, you're, you're not thinking you can handle, I'm going to be there. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to handle it through you. It's when we feel most inadequate that we can most see the power of God and His faithfulness. I know that's been the case in my life. Faith is a, packed way, a pathway for, to see God's power acting through weak people. 
So the first outcome of faith is victories. We want that to be the only and always outcome, don't we? But in the providence of God, that's not always the outcome, at least not immediately. The other outcome of faith is persecution. We see that range in verses 35 to 38. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. From a list like that, one thing we can eliminate right away is the prosperity gospel. There is no truth to the idea that if you walk by faith, everything in your life is going to be great. Because by faith, some escaped the edge of the sword, and by faith, some were killed with the sword. It could be either one. You might escape the sword, you might not. But it doesn't mean that faith isn't being exercised. It just means that God is sovereign over what the outcome is going to be. There is no direct correlation between your exercise of faith and your physical prosperity. Faith could lead to stunning victories, and it can lead to persecution. In fact, we should expect that if we live a life faithful to Jesus, that persecution will be an outcome. Jesus said in John 15, 20, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Paul said to Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's reality. That's to be expected. And the church has experienced that in varying degrees for 2,000 years. Peter said, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. It is not strange. A God-denying world does not appreciate a God-devoted life. That's just how it is. But despite that concerning list of persecution possibilities, everything from being just mocked to actually being sawn in two, that's a big range, despite this list, there is, there's encouragement here. First of all, notice the text says some. Some were tortured. Not all. Not everybody. I'm the kind of person that goes to the worst-case scenario when I see a list like this. Whatever is on this list that's the worst thing, I know that's going to happen to me. I just know it. That's where, that's where my mind goes. But it says some, not everybody. The worst-case scenario isn't everybody's scenario. And that's because God is sovereign over the kind of persecution that any believer encounters. We shouldn't forget chapter 1 which says, Christ upholds the universe by the word of His power. That means nothing can happen to us apart from His upholding it and allowing it to be so. And if He allows it, then it must be because He is going to get us through it, because He loves us. What you and I will experience is in the hands of the Lord, and that is comforting because He is committed to our eternal good. Here's something else to think about. If and when you suffer something for following Christ, it is actually a badge of honor and not a mark against you. 
The text says of those people who were destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, that they were people of whom the world was not worthy. Of whom the world was not worthy. That means God doesn't think that a God-denying world is good enough for God-loving people. (laughs) It isn't good enough. He's got a better world in mind. (laughs) This world isn't good enough if you're a sufferer for Jesus Christ. That's God's description of suffering faithful people, not some self-applied label of worth. What God has planned for His people is verse 35, that they might rise again to a better life. That's resurrection. For all who suffer in Christ, He has prepared a better country. That is a heavenly one, which we saw last week. That's our sure hope. And having that hope makes us even stronger and able to encounter whatever trials come. A while back, I I mentioned a man named Id who was a student at the Ethiopia Pastors College. He gets death threats every day by Muslim extremists through texts. They have his number. His life's been in danger multiple times. He's been in prison multiple times. But he's a joyful man whose heart is in heaven and whose feet bring good news to people in this world. But who is Id really? He is someone who has been made strong out of weakness. And that's available to all of us. Here's the application. Through faith in Christ, God, that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him, weak and flawed people like us can meet any kind of test. We are the same raw material as the people in this list. We have the same faithful God that they they do. We have the same promises of God. Many times our acts of faith are going to bring great victories. There's going to be stories. In faith, we stepped out and tried to collect some money to open a medical clinic in Guadalupe, and now it's here. The money came in in like a week, and the goods are going down in a week from today. And there's going to be a clinic in about a month, and people are going to be treated. It was a step of faith. It's a, it's a victory story. We'll, we'll have those. You don't have those if you don't step out in faith. But if you do, you have them. That's often going to be the case. And along with that, persecutions, there will be those stories. But even there, that doesn't have to be the end of our joy. Like it isn't for id. Like it, like it wasn't for so many ahead, ahead of us. No matter what the immediate outcome is, whether it's victory or persecution, we know the ultimate outcome, which is that we will rise again to a better life. And that's the point that I want to end on. The Hall of Faith teaches one more thing, which is that those who possess faith have one destination. Only one. It ends with a promise, verses 39 and 40, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So the text says the saints of old, and this is, this is true for us too, they didn't receive what was promised. That means in this life, they didn't experience the fullness of everything that God intended to do. It was partial, it was delayed, and that's the way we're going to experience it. We're going to experience Enough of it to know these things are true, but not the full thing, not not everything. It's here in part. 
And that happens not because evil is winning, but because God is waiting. God is waiting for a specific time when the fullness of resurrected life is given to all the saints from all the ages simultaneously. Apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They shall not be resurrected with their eternal bodies into a renewed world. Not apart from us. God is still gathering in His church from every generation. And so He's waiting until the last of them is gathered in, and then comes the big celebration then together we're going to be made perfect. All sin removed, worn out bodies that are decaying with all sorts of problems, replaced with eternally glorious bodies never to die again. In this new renewed place, the world that is worthy of those whom God will make completely blameless in body and soul. That's our one destination, folks, in Christ. You can count on it. God is so in control of our lives that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can change that one destination. Not if you're in His hands. Whether you experience persecution or victory, we have destination of being made perfect. So count on that. <laughs> Let that be the banner over whatever you're frustrated with or worried about. He's, he's in the process of doing something. Everything's going according to his plan. Yeah, we don't understand it day by day like Abraham didn't understand it and so forth. But we know where it's going. And in the end, it's all going to make total sense. And we're going to celebrate together. So step out in faith. Let there be stories to tell for the ages. Faith that God exists and He rewards those who seek Him in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the realities in this chapter. I'm not just talking about philosophy here. Real people facing real trials stepped out in faith and found You to be faithful and they were rewarded. And so, Lord, you're working the same thing today, and we ask you to work it in us, individually, each one of us, and corporately together as a church. Do all that is in your heart to do, which we know, Lord, is ultimately for good, ultimately for the bringing in of your church. Bless us today, we ask, in these ways, to go forth trusting you for all, in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Holds our days with.